Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello. This week on Probably True, I'm joined by the lovely Nevur Zasin, a trans activist, author, and all-round lovely person, who's going to take us through some of their personal stories of navigating the gender binary and beyond. Oh, what a beautiful little... My dad said, girl. And I was like, no, boy. And then he said, girl, and we were just sort of arguing back and forth as this little old lady just backed away slowly. This is Probably True, stories of queer life and even queerer sex. Please be aware that this podcast contains strong language and adult themes. It would be boring without them. I was pretty confident from a young age that I wanted to shake things up. You know, when you like meet a pregnant person and you ask them if they want a boy or a girl and the politically correct answer is like, I just want a happy, healthy baby, you know, which I think is like a pretty mainstream answer. My mum was very set on a girl. That was her answer. She was set. She only had girls' names set out, all that. So I have uh, sometimes joked with her that that is why I am trans. It's obviously not entirely her fault. but <laughs> uh, And so when I was born, there was a lot of uh, hullabaloo about the fact that I was probably a girl because of the way that my body looked. And, you know, I think we know that when that assignation happens, it's not, congratulations, your baby has a penis or your baby has a vagina. It's like much more about the kind of social and political landscape in which they'll exist in. So like what toys they'll play with and all of that. And I think my mom from a from birth had really set out that I was going to probably uh, get married to a good Jewish boy and have a bunch of kids. And I don't think she ever anticipated that I might become a good Jewish boy. That was not within her mind. Uh, so yeah, definitely lots of confusion. And I think like parents are a little bit like GPS systems somewhat, you know, I think they have a kind of set destination for where their kid's going to end up. And then throughout our lives, we take lots of twists and turns um, that kind of take us off track. And then there's like a, a rerouting process of sorts. Um, and I think that's just like a generational gap kind of thing. I think like lots of people, whether they're queer or not, do that, whether they like date someone from a different ethnic background or they like drop out of a course that their parents wanted them to do, or I don't know, maybe they get really trashed and like embarrass themselves in front of their parents. Surely not. I mean, can't relate. I would never. So I think that that's like a pretty universal experience for the most part. And you know, when I was about four years old, I was telling everyone I'm a boy. I was a very dramatic child. I'm not sure if you can tell, but as this unfolds, you will discover that. People would always say, oh, you're such a drama queen. And I would always correct them and say, actually, I'm a drama king. So perfectly fine with being dramatic, but just as long as the royalty is not misgendered. <laughs> uh, and I remember down the line, actually talking to my mom about they, them pronouns. And as an English teacher, she had a lot of issues adopting those pronouns because they're grammatically incorrect. And I, you know, explained to her, like, 
lexicographers have dated they them pronouns back to the 1300s there are lots of english luminaries that have used it you've got jane austen and oscar wilde and and shakespeare mom shakespeare is your favorite and she was like hmm yeah i think i recall shakespeare using it but he only ever used it to refer to royalty and i was like not a problem consider us royalty Yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, that led to a lot of really hilarious situations when I was a kid. You know, I remember one time we were in the supermarket, my dad and I, and this little old lady came up and said, oh, what a beautiful little... My dad said, girl. And I was like, no, boy. And then he said, girl. And we were just sort of arguing back and forth as this little old lady just backed away slowly. I've somehow like made a career out of confusing people. I didn't necessarily intend to. I was just kind of finger painting and doing my own thing, but it deeply disturbed the people around me. And I think, you know, that's kind of the thing about kids is they don't really know that they're different until it's pointed out to them. In most cases, like parents have the best intentions and they love us and they want to hold us and protect us from the scary world out there. When they identify difference in their young person, they're so afraid that like the world is going to be cruel to them because of that difference that they end up trying to program that difference out of us. And I think what that does is solidifies our parents in our mind as our first bullies. That has like a really big impact on our development and on our attachment styles and so many kinds of things. And I can't pretend to know what that's like because I'm not a parent, but I know that that had very real ramifications for me. And it was very obvious to me at a young age that if I put on a dress, despite how miserable it made me feel, it would make my mom really happy. And so I would do that sort of stuff as a performance, but was very angry about it and certainly went kicking and screaming out of Target and Pumpkin Patch and just like any girl section of anywhere and wasn't tolerating it for a second. And someone told me when I was, they asked me how old I was and I said, I'm three and three quarters. And they ended up telling my mom that I was probably going to become the prime minister of Australia or end up in jail. The jury is very much still out on that one, but I'm not super into politics. So (laughs) we'll see. It's definitely possible to be both, right? Oh, I think they uh, come hand in hand more often than not, right? Or or whether they should be in jail or not is a different question, whether they actually end up, um, you know, that's that's one thing. So, yeah, I think, you know, there's been lots of twists and turns and, and that phase of my life of presenting as a, as a boy lasted for about five years. And I use the word phase really consciously because I think that word has historically been weaponized against queer people to disprove our identity. And I always find that really funny because it's like everything is a phase. Childhood is a phase. High school is a phase. Thank God. The boyfriend that you might have in high school is a phase. Thank God. Like the trip (laughs) that you take overseas, the car that breaks down, the course that you drop out of, like everything we do in our life is a phase. And that doesn't mean that just because it is impermanent, it doesn't shape us or grow us or make us who we are, you know? And that's also one of the most beautiful things about being human is that we are ever changing and growing and we get to reinvent ourselves time and time again. So as a way of using that to invalidate someone seems so silly because it's like, well, would you prefer that I'm static? Would you prefer that I never learn or never grow? Maybe yes, (laughs) but it sounds pretty awful. That phase of my life was about five years, and then I kind of repressed my masculinity as much as I could, pretended to be a girl, did some research on what that would involve, and really tried to blend in. I outed myself pretty quickly at a surprise party in grade four when I rocked up in a mini skirt and like little high heels and makeup and hadn't comprehended that the like standard that women dress to depends on their age and that I was like eight. (laughs) 
and they were all wow. just wearing, you know, tracksuit pants and jumpers. And we're like, well, you look nice. What are you wearing? <laughs> and, you know, later on down the track, I started questioning my sexuality and I would have been, what, 13? I had a really big crush on pink, but I figured who didn't? And I was like, yeah, cool. I'd go gay for pink. Uh, and I just didn't realize that I didn't have to go anywhere. And so I was like, okay, great. Let's like push that away and not think about that for a while. And eventually, you know, it kind of came to the fore pretty obviously. I shaved my hair for World's Greatest Shave and rumors started in the small Jewish community that I was a lesbian because, (gasps) as you know, the length of your hair dictates who you're attracted to. Well, that's just science. Yeah, it's as much science as there only being two genders. But anyway, that was that. And I was out and I was like, okay, I guess I'll just be this straight woman who's all about the earrings and defying stereotypes and then realized I was a lesbian and was like, fuck that sucks. (laughs) I really don't want to come out now because I'm just proving everyone right. For my mom, it was one of those things. So I first came out to her as bisexual and that was, I guess like at the time, even though like I identify as bisexual now and like it's a very valid sexuality at the time, I saw it as a stepping stone to kind of break it to her that I was a lesbian. And she really hung on to the fact that I would still be attracted to men. But I think what was very funny is that she no longer knew how to police my sleepovers because everyone had suddenly become a threat. It's like, well, you can't have boys, but now you can't have girls. And like, are you just having sex with everyone? And I was like, I'm 15. I'm not having sex with anyone. I want to have sex with everyone, but I'm having sex with no one. Correct. And also banning sleepovers is not going to be the thing that like contributes to me having sex or not having sex, right? It's just, I mean, we know about beats. It's not like we're all having sex in beds and that's the only way we do it. Um, it's really just like a safer option, but anyway, so, you know, and then I came out as a lesbian and again, it was that kind of GPS system having to reroute. And eventually my mom was like, okay, I'm fine with you being a lesbian as long as the girls that you date are Jewish. And I was like, all right, well, I know three Jewish lesbians and they're all in their (laughs) forties. What do you, what do you want from me? You know? I like that Jewish mum's priority was that your girlfriends be Jewish. Not the, the the stress was more that you might end up with someone who wasn't Jewish rather than someone who wasn't the gender that they thought you should be with. Correct. Yes. Which is just as problematic. <laughs> it feels progressive, but also not, which is really impressive. It's like a pseudo progressive. It's like a disguise. It was not. Um, and especially when I had no one to choose from. So she did have to really, she had to really move on that one. And I remember my sister saying, I'm fine with you being a lesbian as long as you don't have a crush on me. Uh. And I was like, there is so much to unpack there. I'm so worried about you. <laughs> like, my God. It's adorable, really, that all straight people think that we must fancy them because they're obviously irresistible to people of the same sex. Oh, yeah. I told everyone in my year, don't flatter yourselves. Like, you are just not my type at all. And you're not particularly nice. And the more that you speak to me this way, the less attractive you are to me. (laughs) When things got pretty chill about me being a lesbian at school, I started grappling with gender which was a really good time to do that in my final year of high school when I was already kind of depressed and anxious. And I was like, what can I add to this cocktail of crap? And I thought gender would be a really good one to play with. 
it would be boring if you just focused on the exams, right? You need more than that to be going with. And Again, drama king. I <laughs> love drama. I love the drama. I always say, be the drama you want to see in the world, you know? Like, set the example, set the standard. <laughs> so You're an aspiration to all of us, I think. Thank you. Thank you so much. A role model, people have called me, and I think it is in relation to this. So, start drama wherever you go, people. It's really good. Uh, yeah, so that was fun. Really recommend coming out in your final year of high school. It was obviously a disaster, and it was awful, and I lost friends and family members. But um, I think coming out as many times as I have is a really good filtering system of like who are good people that will hang around through a lot because um, you really give them a run for their money. Uh, and, yeah, my mom went through a lot with me transitioning. It was really hard for her. There's, like, a chapter of my first book called My Mother Doesn't Know My Name um, because for a while we just couldn't talk about the fact that I was changing my name and oh my god this is so ridiculous but we have a very banterous relationship and a lot of sarcasm between us and we used to do like a that's what she said kind of thing a lot but we also used to do like so's my dick so she'd come home and just be like oh my day was so long and hard and I'd be like so's my dick and that's just like an ongoing gag that we have and it's very funny but during the early months of my transition we weren't allowed to do that joke anymore because it was too close to home (laughs) she was like I don't want to think about that I'm so upset and I was like like, oh my God, how ridiculous. Like, we're just, okay. Anyway, we, we're back. We're back at the so's my dick jokes. So it's fine. That's how you know we've healed. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. That was like a whole thing, a whole big moment and also just like grappling with transition at 17, like dealing with going on testosterone and like the kind of shifting in society that I experienced that I never really anticipated because I guess I was in so much survival mode that I just needed to get to the next step that I didn't actually consider or grapple with what it would mean to move about in the world as someone who was perceived as a man. So having that happen, especially as someone who was a very angry lesbian feminist, to then be privy to all the like misogynistic language that men use and certainly didn't use around me before that I was then just like oh my god this is what we've been fighting against I didn't even know the extent of it Um, and the ways that people spoke to me really shifted you know instead of calling me like sweetheart darling ma'am honey which are like very kind of patronizing words like sometimes they're really nice but like depending on the tone, can create quite a power imbalance. And then that switch to like 
dude, bro, mate, man. And I was like best friends with every kind of convenience store clerk and part of this covenant that I didn't even realize I signed up for. And I think the moment that really hit me and really made me feel like I had gone from one limiting gender box into a slightly bigger gender box um, was growing up as a, a woman in society or being kind of socialized or cultured as a woman in society, I very much felt fear walking down the street late at night and would have backup plans, you know, of like letting my friends know when I'm home, having my keys in between my fingers, having our emergency number triple zero dialed out on my phone. I used to like walk past men at night on the street and have a fake call with my dad and be like, Hey dad, how was bodybuilding class? You're you're a mere second away? Okay, good to know. And you know, I was always just kind of prepared for the worst. And once I transitioned, that didn't just change, you know, and especially like I didn't feel particularly safe in gay male spaces as a trans person with a lot of the misogynistic jokes or like jokes about different body parts that used to take place. So I didn't just suddenly feel safe. But what I started to notice was that eventually women were looking over their shoulders at me. And that I had become the threat. What do you do in that situation? You just yell like, oh, don't worry, I'm not going to attack you. I used to be a woman. (laughs) That's not going to make people feel safer. And so it was through that process that I sort of started cultivating this like healthy masculinity and coming into what it means to be non-binary because I realized that these binaries that we live in are limiting, that the assignation that we give people at birth is based on so much more than just their anatomy and just their puberty or their secondary sex characteristics. It's about such a kind of cultural zeitgeist that we have created around gender that is like historically very different. You know, what it means to be a man in the 1950s is very different to what it means to be a man now, Um, but also geographically completely different. Like if you actually look at cultures around the world, there are different understandings of gender that stretch back for time immemorial. You know, like even in Judaism, there are six different genders represented in our holy scriptures, which I wouldn't have known about because no one told me. And it's a pretty like conscious submission, I think. That's really cool. That how why yeah, is that wild, talked about hey? more? That sounds awesome. Great question. Yeah. And like, you know, there's obviously discussions about whether it's referring to gender identity or to intersex status or, you know, there's a lot to kind of grapple with there. But regardless, I mean, no one is taught about it anyway that I know of unless they're doing really deep research, which I guess I had to do. (laughs) But, you know, there's so many understandings of gender across the world that go way beyond the binary of male and female. You know, you've got Javanese Wadia, you've got Simone Fafafine, you've got Aboriginal brother boys and sister girls you've got indian hydra and south american travesti like there are so many different expressions of gender and for me being non-binary recognizes not only that i am a mosaic of masculinity and femininity and that i prefer to dress for what is appropriate of the event and the weather than i do what is predetermined for my genitals or my gender presentation like that's that makes no sense to me i don't choose my clothes based on my genitals i choose my clothes based on what is appropriate or what i want to wear um and that that has been a real gift that liberation from those boxes and yeah also recognizing the historical context in which that exists and why that has informed as well where I sit in that world and what sort of decolonizing gender looks like when we recognize that colonization has had such a huge role 
in our understandings of gender now. And so when we try to make out like trans or queerness or whatever is a new left-wing fad, um, we are really not recognizing that the ways we understand male and female and heterosexuality is actually the newer fad um, and hasn't existed in these ways for the most part. I'm just thinking back to what you were saying about when you were growing up and things as well. Like with this in mind, did you have any kind of role models or anyone that you looked to as an example or were you having to blaze your own trail right from age four? Um, no, there wasn't. There was certainly no trans representation. I think that's why I loved Pink so much, to be honest, because she was like such a hardcore tomboy kind of thing. Yeah, have her hair short and like talk about being tough and talk about like the fluidity of sexuality. And I looked to her and was like, I see myself in this. And, you know, over the years, obviously, like my obsession with her has changed, but I do have a tattoo that's dedicated to her on my arm because like that was a really formative time for me. And I don't know how I would have gotten past those feelings of isolation and loneliness as a young person if it wasn't for that. And I think there are a couple of other musicians who played with gender in similar ways that was helpful for me. But yeah, I had this revelation like a few weeks ago when I was watching Disclosure on Netflix that really like tracks trans representation and the impacts that that mainstream representation has had on real life transphobia. And I kind of realized, and obviously this is only relevant to like my side of the world or like the spaces in which I exist, but I feel like I'm part of one of the last generations to grow up without trans representation. Fingers crossed. Yeah, that is truly revolutionary because I came out in 2013. It's not even really that long ago, but with 2014, that was the supposed transgender tipping point. You had Laverne Cox, you had Caitlyn Jenner, you have like, now you can turn on TV and like, just watch a thing and there might be a trans character. Like that is unheard of. Before that, I didn't have anything except Jerry Springer or like Maury Povich, trans women ripping each other's wigs off over their mutual boyfriend or something. Like I didn't have any trans mask representation or non-binary at all. And I just hope that even though we are taking many steps backwards in a lot of trans legislation and policy, there's so much more possibility for trans people nowadays. But then we're also experiencing this kind of transition from invisibility in recent history to hypervisibility, you know, where young people are growing up being aware exactly of how the world feels about them. And um, this huge backlash that we're experiencing in the US and in Australia, and I'm sure probably in the UK as well with anti-trans legislation that probably just didn't even really exist in the past. I mean, obviously there was the criminalization of transness or cross-dressing or anything, but these like really nuanced ways of directly attacking trans people is kind of a new phenomenon. So it's a weird like line to teeter on, but yeah, I don't really feel like I had any role models growing up, which is why like in my work, I always try as much as I can to kind of be the person that I never had growing up so that people can see what is possible. When you told the story of coming out in high school and stuff, did you have bullies and assholes that you had to deal with? There were, look, there were teenage boys who gave me a really hard time, but for as long as they exist, there will always be a hard time. <laughs> 
to be had. They would debate me on like, lesbian sex isn't real sex. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, cool. What are like all of your web browsers dedicated to? You know, <laughs> like, why are you watching it all the time? There was definitely a lot of that energy. But then there was also a lot of guys who came to me for like tips on giving head and stuff. <laughs> and I feel like I was really <laughs> the person that helped them out with that. And they were mostly just jealous because I was probably getting more than they were, um, which made me feel pretty good. Definitely the girls in high school were very like, we're not going to invite you to our pool parties anymore because you'll be checking us out in our bikinis, which again, I said, don't flatter yourselves. You're really not my type, especially not with that behavior. But yeah, for the most part, it was pretty smooth sailing. I think once my mom got over herself a little bit, it was fine. It was coming out as trans that I, I imagine that coming out as trans nowadays is what it would have meant to come out as gay. 20 years ago or something, you know, like there's this real latency with the development of LGBTIQA plus rights, knowing that different factions of the community have completely different experiences. And I think that's because we haven't always centered the most marginalized in all of our liberation efforts and projects, you know, that black trans women are still the ones getting thrown under the bus time and time again. And they're the ones who started our liberation movements. And I often also think about activism as, you know, looking up at this very high mountain that the peak is always out of reach. And if you're always looking up at the peak, you never really get to enjoy the view. And I think taking big, important picnic and taking time to just like look out and be like, wow, this is really beautiful. And the reality is, is like, there is so, so, so much further to go, but also there is so far that we have come and the world looks so different than what I would have imagined it as a 17-year-old young person. And if I could go back and tell that person what life I lead now and that I've been able to write books on trans stuff and be published and do interviews with someone in the UK and, you know, like be on TV and, and even just like live in beautiful queer community with people who love me and value me as a contributing member of society, I don't think I ever would have imagined that. And I think it's part of that looking out at the view is also having those conversations with our inner children and telling them you are safe, you are okay, you are loved, your ancestors are holding you in every experience you are having and they have contributed to everything that you do and um, you are becoming the person who will someday be someone's ancestor. You are setting those stones. Even if you don't want to have kids, you are still going to be guides and guardians for people down the line. Literally in the actions that you are doing will change the world for future generations in some way. So I think that's what really helps restore me in those processes and recognize how far we, we are going. If people want to find you on the internet, where can they go? So my website is nervosism.com, which is pretty easy, but um, my Instagram is probably my most active space, um, nervosism. And then my Facebook is nervosism author, mostly just Instagram, I would say. And you can buy Navo's new book, The Pronoun Lowdown, via the link in the show notes. Go and read it. It's great. That was Probably True, the multi-award winning storytelling podcast created to remind all of our queer siblings that we are none of us alone. If you like what you heard and you want me to keep doing it, you can support the show at patreon.com forward slash probably true. 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 